uh, been so cold this week, I was watching the news the other day and I saw something truly shocking. I saw a politician put his hands in his own pocket. That's how cold it was this last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to expand a, a little bit more or expound a little bit more today on the theme that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. We talked last week about being found faithful, and that's what we're going to be focusing on specifically in the coming weeks on Sunday morning. We'll be talking about a steward being found faithful as a steward. Paul here points in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read in a moment, uh, to his stewardship. Uh, the Bible says, our key, our key verse this year, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now the word for steward is oikonokos, uh, original language there. It means someone who managed the affairs of the master's household. The primary responsibility for this person, for the steward, for the household manager, is faithfulness. And that's our desire this year. I hope it's yours uh, to be found faithful as a servant of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the, ministries of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Verse number 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing but by myself, yet am I not hereby justified but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now, we're going to focus on the first two verses there and then also look at that verse number three and four as we close out in a few minutes here. But I want to look, first of all, uh, at this idea of a steward found faithful. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word and speak to us in a specific way uh, even today. Father, I'm so grateful for each and every one here, uh, these dear people that are uh, I, I hope that each and every one of us is sincerely looking to hear from you today, and may you bring that to pass as your word now has been read. I pray you bless the reading of it and other verses and scriptures that we mentioned. Look, I have nothing to offer uh, of my own self, but may the word be clear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We see the requirement of the steward. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Again, a steward or is, is a, basically a manager. He takes care of the concerns of the family. Uh, he would be providing the food for the household. He received the cash, often was in charge of it. We see an example of this, Joseph in Potiphar's house. He was a slave, but he was also the steward of the house. And he would hold the money and be responsible for spending what was necessary for the family. And then he would give an account to the master. Uh, these people had to be efficient managers of the master's resources. A steward never owned property. Uh, he did not uh, own the resources that he dealt with. He simply managed it for someone else, and he had to manage it faithfully. You can imagine that if you have someone that's going to be responsible for everything that you own and the running of all of your business, that you would want somebody who's trustworthy. You'd, it wouldn't really matter how good they looked. You might not matter how much talent they have, but you certainly would want to know that you can trust them and that they would be faithful to you. We are stewards of what God has given us. We are stewards in every manner of the way. 
uh, we, we, and we're going to talk about different areas that God's given us, but you're children. You're a steward. Those children are from the Lord, and God could take them at any time. We're stewards of the, those children. Our time, we're stewards of our time and what we're going to do with that for the Lord. And so are we being faithful? For stewards, the most important thing is faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is one of the great characteristics of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, and 1 Corinthians 10, 13, both of them simply say, God is faithful. We serve a faithful God. And God is searching for faithful people. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. God is looking for that faithful man. Faithfulness is a requirement that God requires. Even in our verse that we see here, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. There are special blessings that are reserved for the faithful. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. I'm simply saying today that this is one of the most important things for us as the children of God to be, and that is just simply faithful, being found faithful. We're called also to be stewards. We've all been entrusted with something by the Lord. Uh, we also will be held accountable one day at the judgment seat of Christ as, as to what we have done with what he has entrusted us with. We are called to be faithful. I want to look at several truths about faithfulness, uh, looking first at the worth of faithfulness. Someone put it this way, the greatest ability is dependability. Don't you like dependable people? When they say they're going to do something, they do it. When, they, when you're depending on somebody to get something done, it happens. If you want to prove your worth, be faithful. We have a tendency to think that it is more important to be flashy or to be strong or to be talented or, or these different things than to be faithful. But the faithful fire in the furnace at your house is more valuable than the great fireworks display on July 4th. One might be flashier, but it's not nearly as valuable as that faithful faithful furnace. Notoriety sometimes brings great ruin to our lives, but faithfulness never brings ruin. It only brings blessing. And then you see the worth of faithfulness. Also the work of faithfulness. Faithfulness for a servant of the Lord involves at least three important areas here. We need to be faithful to Christ. That's where faithfulness begins uh, for us as Christians, faithfulness to Christ. We need to be faithful to the Word of God, uh, faithful to proclaim the message of God as it is given to us. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. The Bible is full of contradictions. That's right. You heard me say it. The Bible is full of contradictions. It contradicts my pride. It contradicts my arrogance. It contradicts my sin. It contradicts all kinds of things. It just never contradicts itself, see. We need to be faithful to the Word of God. And then thirdly, we need to be faithful in our character. If one is unfaithful in his character, he'll be unfaithful in other areas of his life as well. Character is not how other people see you. That is perception. Perception is how other people see you. And perception is useful... As you work with others and around others, we in the Christian <coughs> circles, we call that our testimony. 
uh, perception, how people see us. Uh, and there's value in that. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, the Bible says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is valuable in many different ways. A good name is certainly valuable in business. A good name is valuable in our witness. A good name is valuable for our reputation. So there's a, a that is a good and valuable thing, but how others see you is not your character. Your character is determined, uh, really the measure of a man's real character is in what he would do if he were never found out. Of course, not just a man, a woman as well. Whatever we would do that we would not, if we would never be found out. The question is then, is character or perception most important for our life. I uh, submit to you today that it is character. Another way to ask that question is who you are or how you act more important. I believe it's who you are. I believe it's your character. Uh, reputation is precious. Character is priceless. See, it does not matter what others think about you. It matters what God knows about you and what you know about you. How's your character today? Are you found faithful in your character? Character is achieved. It is not received. Character is formed in adversity. A talent is formed in stillness, or it comes naturally. But character is formed in the world's torrents, in problems, in adversity, in difficulty. How many of you... Growing up, whenever you were faced with something unpleasant or something hard or something you didn't want to do, had a dear old dad who said, do it because it will build character. Remember that growing up? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever filled a manure spreader inside a barn, 95 degrees, with a pitchfork while you were barefoot? then I have more character than you. My dad said so. He told me. Did your family reject the idea of a dishwasher simply because you had children? Then I have more character than you. My dad told me that growing up. Have you ever been told no to bug spray because bug bites build character? <laughs> then I have more character than you. I, I'm thinking maybe character comes from a weird father. I don't know, but uh, and I'm surprised character didn't kill me off when I was young. But uh, the point of the, the, the I'm trying to make here is that, and this can be a little bit discouraging, character does not come uh, easily. We, we love our cell phones today, and, and if we want an app, we just simply log on to the app store and we just download it. But you can't download character. You can't say, I, I'd like to have patience, so doot, 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 I'll download patience into myself. No, character comes from adversity. Character comes in ways we don't like. The German writer Goethe said, character is formed in the stormy billows of the world. It's a good reminder not to resent adversity, but to learn whatever we can during the adversity in our lives. Got engaged when I was 20 years old. And this may surprise you, but I was a skinny little twerp when I was uh, 20 years old. I weighed 125 pounds, soaking wet with a bar of soap in each pocket. I was skinny. I had only one stripe in my pajama. I stood underneath the clothesline to get out of the rain. You get the idea. I was a very skinny kid. And now I was engaged, and I had this idea that I wanted to bulk up a little bit for my wedding. I had about five months to prepare, and so I was going to get ready and 
and uh, I went to the gym faithfully at least 10 minutes a day and, and, uh, and put my time in there. But who needed a gym anyway? Because I found, I found a big, at GNC or somewhere, I found a big can of weight gain powder. And uh, have you seen those? They, they, have a, they have a picture outside of a guy. Well, he looks like Cody, you know, just uh, big built. And he, he looks like what you want to be. And so I had this weight gain powder, and I, I uh, was still faithful. I still worked out 10 minutes a day or so, give or take, most days. Uh, you know how that goes. And uh, waited. I, I was like a three-month program. I went through it all and took it every day and at the end, I weighed myself, and, and uh, I weighed in at 124 pounds. I lost a pound. I don't have that problem today anymore, believe me. But uh, my mistake was that I wanted the answer to be in a powder, the easy way. Now, if I wanted to really bulk up, what do you have to do? Put some serious work in, work out daily, uh, put some some effort into it and it's not going to come easily but you know what as christians we do the same thing we want the answer to be in a powder powder we want it to be in a book we want it to be in a formula we don't want to have to uh form our character and our, our the things that we all want patience but we don't like the way that patience comes into our lives don't ever by the way ever make the rookie mistake of pray for patience <laughs> bring all kinds of things into your life we are a society of instant gratification. But the truth of the matter is the character traits that you want in your life, don't miss this, are gained in ways that you don't want in your life. They don't come easily. One way to get character into our lives is to view each difficulty and each, each adversity that comes as an opportunity to learn from it and to better yourself. Don't always ask for a change in your circumstances. Sometimes God wants to change you in the circumstances. And that's how we need to focus on it. Remember that your present choices determine your future or your permanent character. The key is in whatever situation you are, be found faithful. Just be faithful. Just do the right thing within it. Continue to be faithful to the Lord. And you watch Him grow you and you watch uh, your character improve. So you have the worth of... Uh, faithfulness. You have the work in faithfulness. And then there's a warning in faithfulness. Our endeavor to be found faithful, we all ought to have that uh, desire. But there's a few warnings for us to consider here. First, the warning about ceasing. It's easy to quit, but quitting is not faithfulness. When the work becomes hard, that's when discouragement often will set in. Quitting seems the easy thing to do, but we cannot quit when the going gets difficult. Every time there's a, a difficult in our Christian life, we can't just throw in the towel. Listen, deep water does not drown you. You drown when you stop kicking. And often we allow the deep water to overcome us and we just quit. We need not quit in the Christian life. Have you ever heard the term latent potential? Did a little reading in, on this subject uh, a couple of weeks ago. The idea is that it, it's potential that exists, but it's not presently evident or realized. I'll give an example uh, uh, that the, they use to kind of uh, illustrate this. You take an ice cube and you set it in a room that's 20 degrees and nothing happens because it's below freezing. And so 
you, and then you start to warm this room up, and at 22 degrees, uh, nothing happens. 23 degrees, uh, 25 degrees, 27 degrees, nothing happens. It's still, that ice cube is unchanged. 30 degrees, nothing happens. 32 degrees, nothing happens. And then one degree difference, 33. And all of a sudden, very slowly, something begins to happen. That ice cube begins to melt. Our habits can be the same way. We work and work and work and see nothing accomplished until we finally cross a threshold and all of a sudden we see uh, the difference. I'll give you another example. Cancer spends 80% of its time in your body undetected and then does all its damage in the remaining 20% of its lifespan. We exercise and see no difference. We work at it and for a while uh, see no difference. Maybe you've been in this situation where maybe you're trying to lose weight or maybe you're trying to make some change in your life. You work and work and work and nothing. And then all of a sudden it just seems to happen more quickly. The problem is that we quit too soon before that final degree. We, uh, we make it through the 20, 25, 27, 28, 29, 30. And then just, just a little shy of success we quit. The funny thing is that when success does happen, uh, people often look at it and they call it an overnight success. When the truth of the matter is that you have put all kinds of groundwork in, uh, that, and that is the real success. Eddie Cantor said, it takes 20 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> How true that is. Latent potential. What I'm saying this morning is stay faithful. Don't quit. Keep on going despite adversity. If you want to be successful in your Christian life, don't quit. Keep going. Be found faithful. Uh, be faithful to the Lord. Uh, great success could lie right around the corner if you hang on a little longer. Joseph woke up one morning in his life a prisoner, and he went to bed that night a king. Overnight success? Not on your life. Joseph was found faithful uh, when he was sold as a slave. Joseph was found faithful when he was accused falsely. He was found faithful when he was thrown in prison. Joseph was found faithful when he was forgotten about by everyone he had ever helped. And then one day, in the culmination of all that faithfulness, God promoted him. It wasn't an overnight success. He was faithful. David, another man, one day he's sitting on a rock, and he's just watching a bunch of sheep while the clouds float lazily by. And the next day, he's standing before a warrior giant, seeing him tumble to the earth because he had just rocked him to sleep uh, from his slingshot. Great victory. He went from being an obscure shepherd boy to a national hero in the space of one day. Overnight success? No way. He was found faithful when he was snubbed by his family. He was found faithful when he labored in the field. He was found faithful when he was scorned by his brothers. You see, the secret to success today, friend, is not to sit by doing nothing, hoping to win some cosmic lottery. It's being found faithful day in, being found faithful day out, and just continuing and continuing when it seems like nothing is happening in your life. Just be found faithful. And one day you'll be an overnight success. Isn't that something, how the Lord works? Grow where you're planted. Let God, uh, you just do your part, and you let God do his part. And secondly, the warning about compromise. Another way our faithfulness is adversely affected is compromise. Compromise is planting God's flower in the devil's dirt. 
is trying to do things our way, ignoring God's way. I tell you today, friend, I've been around a little bit and raised some kids and been in ministry for a while, and I can tell you it always pays to do things God's way. It always does. And it always is a disaster when we do things our way against God's way. I don't care if worldly experts overrule the Bible in terms in, in, the, uh, in the methods of child rearing. God's way works. The world's way doesn't. I don't, it doesn't matter to me if, if homosexuals are, uh, are accepted in society. God condemns it. And God's way is God's way. It makes no difference if society accepts living together as unmarried, but the Bible forbids it. And so uh, we, we, we accept what the Bible says, and we need to not compromise our convictions. The great men and women of the Bible, who the, the Bible lifts up as great examples for us, are ones who did not compromise. Determine in your life you're going to be found faithful by not compromising. Like Mason said to Dixon, we've got to draw the line somewhere. That'll hit you on your way home today as you're driving. Have some convictions. Stand firm on them. Your children should not have to ask you, hey, are we going to church today? They should know that already. Your friends should know better than to offer you a drink. Your name ought to be synonymous with integrity. I'm simply saying today, if you're found faithful and you won't compromise your convictions as a Christian, people will notice that. Compromise has consequences. Compromise today becomes character tomorrow. Christians that compromise and lose their values pay for it in the end. You start by lowering your standards, compromising just a little here and a little there. You spend less time in the scriptures. You start coming to church when it's convenient to spend much more time doing other things. You relax your spiritual drive. You begin to backslide. Your witness for God decreases and your joy vanishes. You don't enjoy uh, uh, spiritual success over sin like you used to. It's called backsliding. Hey, it, it all starts with compromise. Remember Lot? Lot, he's a supreme example in Scripture of a compromising Christian. He did nothing wrong, really. He just he, he chose a well-watered plains, and, and one day he sets up his tent, and he sets his easy chair up uh, outside the tent there, but he does it in the direction of wicked Sodom. The Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He just made a small compromise, and then more small compromises until his life was completely ruined and he lost his family. Listen, we just need to endeavor to be found faithful. We need to be faithful to the Lord without compromise. Paul, in our text here, had a high sense of accountability. He calls himself a steward of the mysteries of God. <clears throat> now, these were divine mysteries. They were revealed to him. He speaks about these mysteries in Ephesians, in in uh, 1 Corinthians, in Romans, in Thessalonians, he talks about these different mysteries. I'm going to mention just a couple of them here. In Romans, he talked about the mystery of Christ's cross, the mystery of the cross, salvation through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. That is the theme of the book of Romans. It talks about, the Romans begins with telling us about the big problem that is spread to all mankind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so it gives us our spiritual condition. We are sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. 
we, we sin because we are sinners. It's a condition. It's not a behavioral problem. If sin were a behavioral problem, you could fix it by changing your behavior. But sin is not a behavioral problem. Sin is a condition that we're born with. See, how do you know it's not a behavioral problem? Fix it for one day. Just take the Ten Commandments, not 632, just 10, the Ten Commandments, and obey them all day, one day, all 10. Try that out. You'll find it's not a behavioral possibility for us. I heard of one lady who was praying, Lord, so far today, I've obeyed every commandment, all the Ten Commandments. I haven't thought evil against anybody. I haven't had angry thoughts. I haven't done anything against the Ten Commandments. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed, and then I'm really going to need your help. Yeah. That's how we are, isn't it? It's a hard thing. So it's an unsolvable problem. He says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, he goes on in Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We have a problem. We are sinners. We have a condition that we can do nothing about. It's not behavioral, and so we can't fix it by changing our behavior. The Bible makes it very clear that if we have the idea of trusting in our own goodness to get to heaven, we are going to fail fall flat on our face. We don't have enough goodness to offset our wickedness. The answer is found in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, there's what we earn. Just to stop and tell you, that's what we earn, death. See, I'm going to be as good as I can. You can only earn one thing, friend, with your behavior, and that's found in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Wage is something we earn, but the verse changes its tone when it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we earn is death. What God gifts to us is heaven because there is no way that we can earn life everlasting. Isn't that a blessing? That's what the book of Romans is about, the mystery of the cross of Christ. Heaven is not earned. Heaven is gifted. Another way of putting it, salvation is a gift to the guilty, not a reward to the righteous. Isn't that a blessing? Why? Because I'm guilty and so are you. And so he makes that way for us to be saved. What a blessing that is. In Ephesians, Paul expounds the mystery of Christ's church. It was no mystery that God intended to save the Gentiles. This is a truth that's often taught in the Old Testament. Uh, the mystery was that Jew and Gentile would be made alike and members of one body of Christ, the local church. In Thessalonians, he expounds the mystery of Christ's coming. The believer is not only dead and risen in Christ, that's what the book of Romans says. The believer is not only seated in heavenly places in Christ, that's what the book of Ephesians says, but he is to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, talking about the rapture, uh, thus to be ever with the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us in Thessalonians. Verse 3. Look at what the Bible says, verse 3 here in our text. Changing direction a little bit. The Bible says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. Now, Paul here, I think it's interesting, he's saying he's not too concerned with what they think of him. He's a little concerned. Obviously, we ought to be, we ought to be careful about our testimony. <clears throat> he doesn't say there's no concern at all, but only that it counts for very little. The word judged here means to be examined. Basically, what it's talking about, it's a preliminary examination in preparation for a trial. Well, Paul didn't figure he was on trial here. Uh, he didn't consider himself on trial, and it didn't matter to Paul, therefore, that much what they thought of him. 
Now, this is all in context with being found faithful. And I want to drive this point home today because this is a problem where many of us find ourselves and a mistake that many of us make. We uh, spend far too much time worrying, wondering, thinking about what people think about us. Paul's saying, listen, we have a clear conscience before God. If we're found faithful in his eyes, I'm going to be judged of Christ. So he's saying here uh, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Some of God's greatest servants are bitterly criticized by those who aren't fit to wipe their shoes. We see it all throughout the Bible. And yet, Paul said, by the way, example of that's Job. Job, went, in my opinion, spent far too much time defending himself to his critical friends. But uh, Paul had no intention of doing any such thing. There are several things that will happen in our lives if we live primarily to please people. And I want to say at the outset, before we go through five things very quickly, if we, if we uh, serve God, the Bible says if we're in God's will, we're, he'll make us to be at peace with all men. It's a good thing to please people, but not primarily. It's all right if you're happy with me, but I am not doing what I do to make you happy with me. Does that make sense? We need to live for one, not for many. But there's something that happens in our Christian life if we live primarily to please people instead of to serve the Lord. Number one, you'll become owed. In the service of God, you make sacrifices. That's just a part of it. You, you have to go uh, at, at, in VBS. Thursday night is a sacrifice. Friday night's a bigger sacrifice. You ever helped with VBS? Uh, it's not an easy thing to do, serving the Lord sometimes. If those sacrifices, if they are made for man to please people or to elevate your position, you will end up being very discouraged. You'll make statements like, nobody sees what I do. Nobody notices everything that I do at church. No, they might not know, but do it for him, and then it won't matter if people know everything that you do or not. Listen, I'm simply saying we need to move our focus, not primarily serving people, but to serve the Lord. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, Paul goes far enough to say, hey, you've got to make a choice, friend. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve people. But if you serve people, you're not going to be a servant of Christ. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? You must determine, determine whose servant you want to be. Others may not see what you do. That's okay. Just be found faithful. You let God determine your rewards. So you'll become owed. You'll feel like people owe you if you serve people. Number two, you'll become owned. When people become owned, they say or don't say things depending on what people will think. I'm talking here about serving the wrong master. I have found in my experience, and I'm sure you probably have too, that you cannot be successful if you live to please people. You cannot please all the people all of the time. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you cannot please all of the people all of the time. And you shouldn't try because you will feel incredibly discouraged in your Christian life. Paul compares them to the Jews in 1 Thessalonians 2.15. This is what he says about them. Listen to this who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. Now listen to this. And they please not God and are contrary to all men. Think about that. 
They didn't please God, and they didn't please men either. So in trying to please men, they didn't do either one. And think about the frustration that would be. But that's the condition of so many people. Trying to be a people pleaser, and in the end, not pleasing people, and not pleasing God either. If you first seek to please God, you have only one to please instead of many. And a multitude of masters is much harder to please than one. I don't know who made that quote, but so true that is. Number three. Three, you'll become spent. Spent. Serving men is serving out of a limited supply. God's intent for our ministry is not to frustrate us, not for us to run on empty. He said in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. He doesn't want you to be frustrated in the service of the Lord. That's where you have great freedom in the pleasing of one. Just pleasing one. Live for an audience of one. And you watch God give you peace with men as well. Number four, uh, if we serve people, we will become bitter. Unfortunately, there are bitter people in the ministry of the church. One of the primary reasons that uh, people in church might be bitter is that they have lived to please people and they get frustrated when nobody recognizes everything I do. They don't realize all that I do and they start to put the focus within themselves. By the way, our bitterness will never, ever come into your life. Bitterness will not be there if your focus is upward. Bitterness always comes when you start to look at poor old me can't believe they said that about me. I can't believe that they ignored me. Me, 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 me. That's where bitterness comes. You keep your focus on Christ and you'll not become bitter. Uh, I, I find it interesting in Malachi 3.14. Ye have said, the prophet says, it is vain to serve God and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? What an attitude. It's vain to serve God. That didn't come from a right heart. That comes from the idea of when we're uh, and I can tell you, it is never vain to serve God, but it can be vain to serve people. See, and just doing the right things for the wrong reasons will not satisfy you if you serve people. If you live to be a people pleaser, you eventually will have some serious problems. Why? Because people are weird. They are. People are weird, even in church. The gospel light draws some strange bugs, let me tell you. People are weird. They are. And uh, we are, you know, people are different. We're different from one another. And so what do we do? What's the answer then? Live to please him. Live to please him. If you try to please everybody, and, and we're all so different in here this morning. We have different backgrounds, different parents. I'm the only one here that's completely 100% normal. Everybody else is just a little different, you understand. And I know you feel the same way, don't you? Uh, and so we live to please him. Listen, friend, I'm trying to tell you today, just be found faithful. Be found faithful to God. Don't try to please everybody. You can't do it. You never will. But if you live to please him, oh, there's such freedom in that. And there's such a, uh, a lot less uh, stress and pressure. Number five, we become, if we serve people, we become prideful. When we get recognition or preferment, it can go to our heads. Now, if you read your Bible, <coughs> you'll find it's not so much our littleness that hinders Christ working through us, but our bigness. Ever notice in the Bible, God uses little people, nobodies, people with no skill. Gideon, 
He didn't even think he could do anything. David, a boy, to fight a giant. Uh, he uses, it's not our littleness that hinders him, it's our bigness. It's not so much our weakness that uh, hinders Christ as our strength. It is not our darkness, but our supposed light that holds back his power. When we start to think about the work of God, and we start to think that it depends on my great ability and my resources and all the talents that I have, we're headed for trouble. Just bring your biscuits and dried fish to the Lord and let him feed the multitudes. Just teach your two, three, four, five little Sunday school children and you let God do the work in their hearts. Just whatever it is in the church, just sweeping the floor, cleaning the bathrooms, mowing the lawn, scooping the snow, scooping the snow. I need a volunteer. I'm just going to keep saying it. Somebody raise their hand, scooping the snow. Whatever it is. Just do it for God. Just be found faithful. Let him. You know what's interesting? You know what God notices that you do? Do you know what God notices that you do? This is a great verse. And this just always amazes me. Matthew 10, 42. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones, talking about the children, he was just talking about children, a cup of cold water, verily I say unto you, shall no wise lose his reward. You give somebody a cup of water, and you'll forget all about it in 10 minutes, but he won't. He'll remember it, and you won't lose your reward. Can you imagine what God has in store for those who are found faithful in bigger areas than giving water to somebody, being faithful to church, being faithful reading your Bible, being faithful to witnessing, being found faithful? Why? I'm glad he doesn't forget those things. Many times we do, but he won't. But you will not serve people well if they are your primary focus. I can assure you, if, if I as a pastor make serving you individually my primary focus, I will not serve anybody well. It's got to be him. He has to be my primary focus. And guess what? He has to be your primary focus too. Just be found faithful. Your focus must be Christ. Here's one of the great things about making Christ your focus. Jesus Christ knows your motive. I can't tell you how many times my motive has been misread by someone. You can probably attest to the same thing. You try and you do something to the absolute best of your ability and you feel even glad with how everything's went and then somebody reads your motive wrong. Somebody uh, thinks or mistakes the way that you did things. Somebody takes it wrong. Everything gets all messed up. Here, 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for that day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. This is talking about when we stand before Christ. It shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall uh, try every man's work of what sort it is. God knows your motive. Jesus knows your motive. Now, I don't know, by the way, this can work the wrong way, too, if we're trying to put on a facade. But I'm glad that, that I have someone that if, if I do the very best I can and I'm trying to be found faithful and, and somebody takes it wrong and somebody starts to disparage me or attack me on the way that I've done something, I'm glad that somebody knows my motive, if my motive is right. Amen? He knows our motive. Christ knows why you do what you do. Fix your focus on Christ. Determine, my friend, determine to be found faithful. You're a steward. 
in so many areas. In the coming weeks, I hope that you'll join us. We're going to talk about different areas in life in which you are a steward. You might think, this is mine. Not really. Not really. God has blessed us in many ways. He's given us an opportunity to be a steward in many areas of our life. Let's be found faithful. Please, him in it. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know what the Lord spoke to your heart about this morning.